It's an important conversation because as leaders, uh, if we really want to achieve our full potential as leaders, we're going to have to bring our whole selves. Hi, I'm Megan Hyatt Miller, and this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. As a reminder, my dad is out on his first ever three-month-long sabbatical as part of our succession plan, and he'll be back on the podcast early this fall. We'll talk all about it when he's back. I can't wait. But in the meantime, I get to host a series of exciting conversations with special guests that I've handpicked from inside our company. And today I'm joined by my friend and our chief coaching officer, Michelle Kashat. For those of you guys who've been around a while, you probably recognize her name and you're definitely going to recognize her voice because she was the co-host of our earlier podcast with my dad, This Is Your Life. Michelle is responsible for all aspects of the development and management of our executive coaching and corporate training programs, where we now serve around 700 business owners and executives. Since some of you are gonna ask, if you want more information about our executive coaching, you can find out more about it at lead2.win slash coaching. Michelle has enabled us to build a phenomenal program for our clients thanks to her skills as a tremendous visionary and a masterful builder of systems and people, which is a really unique combination. So Michelle, I'm so glad that you're back with me today for a second podcast. Woohoo! Woo-hoo! Yay! <laughs> and since I was so I was so self-controlled on the last one, I make no guarantees today. Okay, today just- all bets are off. Okay, you're just taking the the girdle off and whatever happens, happens. (laughs) Oh, I love that you use the word girdle on this podcast and everybody that is under the age of 40 has no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) It's like old school Spanx, okay? So just think about what happens. We won't go any further than that. Okay, how to unwind that or become unprofessional very quickly. (laughs) I'm I'm totally (laughs) biting my tongue, exercising all of my maturity and self Well, (laughs) clearly you can, you guys can uh, imagine how much fun this podcast is going to be, how much fun we had on the last podcast. If you missed that one with Michelle, make sure to go back and listen to it. It was all about encouragement. It was awesome. But today, Michelle, I'm kind of going to turn the tables because I am going to let you lead this conversation. I'm a little terrified, (laughs) but also excited (laughs) because this topic is really near and dear to your heart, seriously. Um, So let's go ahead and just dive in. You got it. Today, we're talking about why and then how your story should shape the way you lead. And this is, for some of you, going to be a highly uncomfortable conversation because your preference is to keep your personal life very compartmentalized and separate from your professional life. And so I'm going to challenge all of your sense of like what those boundaries should look like as we talk about integrating your story into how you lead and why it matters. Uh, so let's start by saying this. First of all, I'm a big believer that leadership requires wholeheartedness. Yeah. And I would probably say you feel the same. Do you agree? I, I do feel the same. And this has been challenging for me. Um, 
I've been pretty open on the podcast about parts of my story in particular, um, you know, some family challenges that we've had as adoptive parents and how that has really intersected with my professional journey and, you know, really with the passion that we have around the double win, winning at work and succeeding at life here at Michael Hyde and Company. And, you know, I think where this really kind of like the rubber met the road for me was actually with you, Michelle. It's funny. I didn't think about this until we just started talking, but when you were coaching me, before you joined our team, um, when I was way back giving my first keynote, it feels like way back now, it's been like maybe four years ago or something, uh-huh. I think. And I was terrified. There's a podcast about this. I think we can link to it in the show notes, you know, but um, anyway, it was a whole big drama. It's worth listening to. And <laughs> Mich- Michelle held my hand through the drama and got me to the other side among other people. And, you know, one of the things you really challenged me to do and have challenged me a number of times since then, as we've worked through other speeches is to include really vulnerable stories. Mm-hmm. And it it always makes me a little uncomfortable, you know? I mean, it always mm-hmm. makes me think, well, what if people don't respect me? What if they think like that that makes me not that serious or whatever, you know, there's always a list of of what ifs in mm-hmm. my head. But mm-hmm. what I know from my own experience as a listener to other people presenting or to other leaders is that I don't feel connected to people if I don't have a sense of their story and their whole heart, you know, and I will do things for someone who I know in that kind of, with that kind of intimacy that I would never do for someone who's just kind of a, you know, a talking head, so to speak with no heart. And I can't think of anybody better to lead us in this conversation than you, because Mm. not only have you professionally guided many, many people in your work, as a speech coach prior to your work with us in this, but I also think you've lived it out. I mean, you have had many aspects of your own story that have been very difficult that you've shared about publicly in your in your um, work as, a, as an author in particular and as a speaker that I think have only endeared you to people and empowered your leadership. So I'm really excited about this conversation today. It's an important conversation because as leaders, uh, if we really want to achieve our full potential as leaders, we're going to have to bring our whole selves. And that includes, yeah. that includes the story that has shaped us and made us who we are. The only other option to that is to be a compartmentalized leader. You know, a compartmentalized that has everything, like your whole self is in a bento box and you op- only open a certain square according to the person that you're with. Right. And as a result, and we have all known leaders like that, we've probably all been leaders like that at different times, that kind of compartmentalized leader leaves part of him or herself behind, okay? So and their power and their effectiveness. Their effectiveness, their power, all of that. So uh, let me give you an analogy. This, this is kind of a way that I help to think through it. So I live in Colorado. I'm actually getting ready to go on PTO, and my PTO is going to involve me hiking the Colorado Rocky Mountains by myself. Wow. With my dog. I cannot wait. Wow. What about the grizzly bears, Michelle? What are you doing about that? Oh, I'm like, bring it on. I'm just looking for somebody to take down. Come on. Gosh. Okay. (laughs) I'll send like somebody to look for you if we need to. Yeah. If you don't hear from me, send help and snacks. But other than that, uh, so let's say leadership is like being a, um, a mountain climbing guide. So let's say you're someone that helps 
people get to the top of the mountain, which honestly, as a leader, often feels like what we're doing, right? We've got the whole team of people. Our job is to get our team to the top of the mountain. By the way, in Colorado, for those who aren't familiar, we have mountains that are over 14,000 feet. And so the big accomplishment is to climb a 14er. A 14er is a big deal and it requires usually a whole day of hiking. So let's say we're at the base of a 14er and my job is to get my whole team to the top without dying mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then to, and then to get them back home. Okay. So it's going to require my very best. It's going to require my physical strength, my intellectual ability, my emotional stamina, and probably some spiritual praying as well to get to the top, right? And on top of that, I'm going to have a whole backpack filled with supplies, everything from food and water and first aid supplies and whatever else we might need on this hike. And if we're going to do this, and if I'm going to get everybody to the top, I'm going to need all of that. I'm going to need to have access to all of those different aspects of myself, as well as the backpack that we're carrying, okay? Because I know it's going to require my history, my experience, my education, all of those things to get us to the top. Okay. And only then will we have a shot of actually accomplishing that. Now, compartmentalized leadership, this is what compartmentalized leadership looks like. So let's say that you feel a need, you don't want to lose some of the things that are in your backpack because you don't want to lose them. You need to protect them. So you decide to leave your backpack at the bottom of the mountain because there was too big of a risk that maybe you would lose it along Uh, the way. mm -hmm. Or let's say, um, you know, you decide that you could live without a leg or an arm. So you're just going to cut those two things off and you should be (laughs) fine doing with it, right? It starts to get more and more ludicrous. Yeah. Let's say, let's just decide you leave your brain behind. You don't have to think you're just going to wing it. Well, that wouldn't work. I mean, we could just keep building this out. Obviously, all of us would look at that leader and say, you're ridiculous. There's no way you're going to get you and your team to the top if you leave a leg and your backpack and your brain behind. It's not possible. If you are going to do this, you're going to need everything at your access. And yet the irony is, is as leaders, we try to basically cut off parts of our story that we think that we want to self-protect or that we think might make people think less of us. So we're going to cut it off and leave behind. And actually the opposite is true. Let me give you an example before we dive into the content. Yeah. So for those of you who are not familiar with me, uh, my, I have a, I've written about it, so I won't go into all of it, but uh, I was a public speaker. I was on Michael's podcast, as Megan has already mentioned. I was traveling around the United States on tour, speaking in large arenas of 10, 12,000 people. And in the middle of all of that, and by the way, this was kind of what I thought was the height of my career, I was diagnosed with cancer of the tongue three times, Mm. three times. The most recent time was so severe and significant that it required uh, me to have a nine-hour surgery where they removed two-thirds of my tongue. I had multiple different skin grafts, and basically, my body was cut up and re-put together, and then I went through a long series of chemotherapy and radiation that left me with uh, burn scars on the inside and outside. My vocal cords were so burned, I couldn't talk for more than a month. And then uh, it took me about two years to physically recover enough that I could function in everyday life. Mm. On the backside of that, 
I was left as a woman who used to be a professional communicator who talks with a very obvious lisp. Okay. I talk with a lisp. I spit when I speak. I struggle to eat and drink and swallow and have normal everyday communication. And my assumption was, uh, this was such a traumatic part of my story that either I needed to not be a professional in my field anymore, or I somehow needed to hide or minimize or cover up this part of my story that I was embarrassed about, right? So as I started to re-enter the professional workspace as a communicator and a coach and a speaker and a speaking coach, I felt the temptation to compartmentalize to either try to pretend that this wasn't an issue, to hide it, to shut down that part of me, or to just not do it at all. So I had to choose, am I going to be a compartmentalized leader or am I going to be a whole leader that brings all of myself, all of my story to what I do? Uh, and eventually, as you know, since I'm sitting here with you, Megan, I made the mm -hmm. choice that I wanted to be a wholehearted leader. Yeah. Now that said, I had to also have some wisdom about what that looked like in the leadership space. Um, and how to be able, so I know why it matters. I know that I needed to bring my whole self and not try to have bits and pieces, but how do I do that in a way that doesn't make me a victim instead of a leader? Yep. And I think that's a, a really tricky thing to discern, but I am so grateful that you dug in and that you did discern how to do it because having known you before all of that and knowing you now, your capacity as a leader is no question in my mind greater because of what you've gone through, the suffering, the lessons, all of that has made you who you are, your capacity for empathy. I mean, you were already an incredibly empathetic person, but having gone through this, you know, your ability to connect with people, all these things, not to mention just the power of your communication is so, so much greater than the physical limitations mm -hmm. that you have, that it would be really sad to not have the gifts of those shared with not only the people you're leading, but in your case, the public, you know, there's really so many gifts of this that I think that's kind of part of what's at stake is that not only may we be less effective as leaders, but there, there are actually gifts here that we're withholding from people when we don't yeah. tell our story because someone who may not have been through exactly your situation, but they, they may look at what you have been through and think, man, if she can do it, there, there's hope for me. There's a place for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a contribution that I have that matters that is not um, predicated on perfection or a lack of suffering mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. having it all together. And and look at what she's doing. You know, mm -hmm. and so I think mm -hmm. that I'm so glad that you have uh, made this choice with courage and decided to lean into your story. And I think as you get into some of the practical aspects of this. Y'all are going to love hearing this and feel emboldened for how to integrate your story yeah. into your leadership. One thing we have to continuously remember is when we self-protect and shut down parts of us that we want to hide or minimize, we inadvertently tell our, our teammates that it's not safe for them to bring their whole right. selves. right. And we might think we're doing everybody a favor by hiding it, but we are creating an unsafe environment for people to be yep. whole people. Yep. And once we start doing that, if we're compartmentalized and our people are compartmentalized and then nobody is operating at their full potential, nobody is able to accomplish what we could accomplish if we could bring our whole selves to work.
You know, Michelle, I just was thinking of something as you were talking about that, that one of the most profound realizations that I've had as a leader in my time leading Michael Hyden Company has been just the breadth of crises that mm-hmm. I have encountered with the people that I'm leading mm-hmm. and had the privilege of walking with them through. I mean, everything from the death of children to yeah. the loss of uh, marriages, you know, divorce to health crises to all kinds of things, you know, accidents, whatever. And, I, and that's just humanity. That That is what you will encounter as a leader. And so the question is, when those things happen in the lives of the people you're leading, how will you show up and what is going to enable mm-hmm. you to show up? Because there, I think one of the things we learned from 2020 is that this line between personal and professional was kind of fake to begin with, you know, <laughs> like that was, that was a, a construct that didn't actually exist anywhere except in our minds. And that all of a sudden with all this remote work and the kids being home and all the things and, and our health being so vulnerable in the pandemic that these things are really together and these these events in the lives of the people that you have the opportunity to serve and lead will come crashing in. And how are you going to show up? And so yes. I, I think that's another important component of this. What you're saying is, is you know, basically that compartmentalization is not healthy, but wisdom is. Right? Yes. So being wholehearted doesn't mean that you are a regular diarrhea of the mouth dumping the story all the time. <laughs> right. We have right. now said gurgle and diarrhea on this podcast. I know. Sorry about that. Will anybody come <laughs> back next week? That's the question. <laughs> Don't know. Don't know. You can edit that out if needed. But all that to say is uh, we can be wholehearted and wise at the same time. And that's what yep. we're looking for. Is yep. how, do we, how do we show up as wholehearted people in the way that actually makes all of us better? Someone who's a dumper, a victim, constant dumping victim does not make the team better. It's about them. It's not about the overall whole. Yeah. But when we show up as wholehearted people, it makes the overall whole better, the whole team better. Yeah, I think that's an important kind of caution because it can be professionally inappropriate if you're trying to get a certain type of support, for example, from your team, from your direct reports, that would be because of the power differential, just very inappropriate to expect of them or to put them in the position of needing to rise to that. So that's just something to keep in mind. Okay, so I'm really excited to dig into how do we do this? Because this seems sort of like a black box on the outside. Like, how do we integrate our story into our leadership in a way that is healthy and good and productive and effective? You know, Michelle, you have talked to me about the fact that every leader can use their story to shape their leadership in a powerful way by asking four questions that you've come up with. And I think this is going to be very powerful for you listening to operationalize this in a way that becomes really practical. We want all of you, every one of you as leaders, to be able to use your story to shape your leadership and to empower your team, okay, to lead in a powerful way. And you can do so by asking yourself four questions. We're going to keep this very, very simple. Why, when, who, and how? Four questions. Why? We'll start with why. This is the first question. Uh, and simply, I ask myself, why am I sharing this? Yeah. Am I sharing this part of my story in this context? Am I bringing my story to bear in this leadership environment for a specific purpose? 
And what is that purpose? Mm-hmm. Now, this requires, oh, I'm going to get on somebody's toes today. This is going to require rigorous self-awareness. Yep. Okay. We all have a multitude of subconscious reasons why we might share our stories. And we may not do it intentionally, but we have these all kinds of subconscious factors at place when it comes to sharing our stories. We might want to impress. We might want to deflect or distract from a conversation that's happening or even some negative feedback we're receiving. Mm-hmm. We want, we might want to garner sympathy or get in t- attention or to manipulate a situation or to vent or unload. Those mm-hmm. are all subconscious reasons why we might feel um, compelled to share our story, but that's mm-hmm. not purposeful, wholehearted leadership. So yeah. asking yourself, why am I sharing? What is my purpose here? Can really help be a good gut check to know. I agree with this. I think self-awareness is one of the most critical disciplines of leadership. and. Mm-hmm. All the mistakes I've made in leader, in leadership pretty much go back to a failure of self-awareness. <laughs> I mean, I wish it were more complicated than that. It's just not, you know, that it's I didn't not. take the time. I didn't listen to my intuition. I didn't slow down to really reflect on something. You know, I just reacted. I wasn't conscious of how I was coming across whatever. I wasn't conscious of my motivations. And, you know, one of the things that will happen to you as a leader is you will find that you are triggered by the people you're leading. You know, mm-hmm. this is, this is again, just like being a parent, <laughs> you know, you get triggered by your kids. It's the same thing. And you have to be aware that's not the problem of the person you're leading. That's your problem, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think having this self-awareness is so critical. I remember once um, listening to a podcast, I think it was a podcast or maybe it was in a book actually that Brene Brown wrote and she was talking about how to share stories. And she said something that was like, if you are unresolved in the story, like if it's still ongoing and it's, and I think the context was like sharing it in a speech, you know, uh, or some kind of really public way and less relational, more in a public um, expression that, you know, if you're in the middle of a crisis, that may not be the best time. If you need something from the audience to make that situation okay, that's not appropriate. You need to have that situation kind of done and concluded emotionally and be on the other side of it yourself before you share. I don't think that applies necessarily in all cases. I think there are contexts where you don't need to be at that level. But I do think as a general rule of thumb, you know, if you're going into it to your point here where you have some kind of need like to vent or to get attention or garner sympathy, that's that's asking something inappropriate of the listener mm-hmm. in a way that we shouldn't do. And yeah, I would say that's true in most ca- most cases. If we're really wholehearted people, that means we're taking ownership of our own emotional health and right. our own choices, then we don't do these kind of uh somewhat, whether we are conscious or not, manipulative behaviors to exactly. get something back. We ask yep. for what we need overtly, not backhandedly. Yes. Right. Yeah, man, that's uh, such a lesson. Yes, I know it's so hard to learn and uh, and to be conscious. That's why simply asking yourself, "Why am I sharing this right now? Yep. Why do I feel a need to share this right now?" So that's the first question. It's so very critical. Uh, if you haven't done your homework privately to get mm-hmm. to a place of healing, then it's not appropriate yet for you to share it. <laughs> right. Sometimes you need a therapist. Yes. That's the right person. Yeah. You know, or a pastor or somebody that's in that in that particular role. That's appropriate, not the people on your team.
second question, when? Ask yourself, when is an appropriate time? Is it, is now, does it fit the current situation and people or would a different time be better? Mm -hmm. uh, would it be helpful or distracting right now? Remember, your words have impact. Yep. Words are not neutral. So thinking through, I'm sharing right now, it's not going to be neutral. Is this going to help the situation or distract from the outcome that I'm aiming for? Okay. Mm -hmm. And again, just because you feel a compulsion doesn't mean the right time is now. <laughs> um, <laughs> we could talk about marriage here. How many of us have felt compelled to say something to oh, our spouse yeah. in the moment and then kicked ourselves later because the timing yep. was terrible? Yep. Uh, you know, side note. Uh, letting your husband know that you're upset with him at 10 o'clock at night as you're crawling to bed is not the appropriate time, right? <laughs> we <laughs> might know that from personal experience. Just saying. Maybe, <laughs> theoretically. But thinking through timing, you know, thinking through yeah. when would be the appropriate time and is this the appropriate audience? Learn to discern between compulsion and wisdom. You know, we kind of go back to the first question with why and the importance of rigorous self-awareness. I think that applies absolutely to this question of when. I mean, really, in some ways, this idea of integrating your story into your leadership is a, a pro move. You know, this is not um, something that if, if you're just starting to develop self-awareness, I feel like this might be something to think on really carefully before you do it. I mean, it requires a level of maturity and self-awareness to do this skillfully without hurting people. And I think that's really mm -hmm. what we're talking about is how do we not unintentionally abuse our power or put people in an awkward situation or hurt mm -hmm. them. And I think, you know, we've all been in situations to this uh, idea of when is the appropriate time to share your story mm -hmm. where someone has hijacked a conversation in an inappropriate way, like at a dinner party. I can think of being at dinner parties where this has happened, where someone <laughs> totally, you know, where they maybe had a little bit too much to drink or something. And they've dominated the conversation with some big dramatic story. And you just feel like you're held hostage and you can't leave and you don't know what to say. And it's awkward for yeah. everybody, right? We've all been there. And that's exactly Exactly the been there, of what we want to have. Yeah. I've been there and I've probably done this, you know, yeah. on occasion. And then I've had to regret later of going, what was I thinking? And so catching yourself and stopping and asking these questions yes. are so important. Mm -hmm. You know, so what, what you're talking about is even asking yourself, is this, am I getting ready to share this because it serves me in some right. way or because exactly. it serves the situation in some yes. way? Yeah. And, and too many times, those kind of hijacked conversation, it's serving the individual, but it's yep. not serving the collective. Yeah. If we just keep in mind what's the best thing for the, the audience, whether that's one person or a thousand, that'll keep us out of a lot of trouble. Okay. So why, when, third is who, all right? So who, who is your audience? Is it a team member? Is it a direct report? Is it a client? Is it a vendor? Your audience should inform what you share and how much you share it in the way that you say it, okay? So think in terms of the other person. Again, if you're still early in your own process of self-awareness and healing, you know, by nature, pain makes us very self-focused. 
So if we're still in the throes of pretty significant pain related to our stories, it makes us basically, it puts blinders on. We have tunnel vision. Yeah. We're not very yeah. aware of seeing other people. Yeah. Okay? So have the courage to be able to see that and acknowledge it. Doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. It just means you're still in the early stages of processing and healing from whatever that part of your story is. But you must ask yourself, who is my audience here? Who am I really talking to? Would it be appropriate in this environment? Is it appropriate to this person? Even thinking in terms of, does this person have the capacity to even listen to this right now? For example, you know, let's say one of your teammates, heaven forbid, loses a family member. That's not the moment for you to unload your story of losing a family member. They're not in the place of even having the capacity to receive your story. <laughs> so just thinking in terms of who is my audience here and what makes the most sense for them. You know, this reminds me of a conversation that I had with Ian Cron, um, who is a good friend of mine and my dad's and author of The Road Back to You about the Enneagram. And we he does a lot of work around leadership in a professional context. And he has shared with me and with others on many occasions just the the imperative of doing your own work as a leader. Mm-hmm. You know, that if you are going to effectively share your story and have that be beneficial to the recipient of your story, again, whether that's one person or a thousand people or 20,000 people, then you really have to do that work privately. You know, you, and we're talking kind of about your whole story here, not necessarily just one incident, but go to therapy if you need to. I mean, you and I are both big believers in that. I've spent years and years and years (laughs) in therapy. And and it's something that I, while I don't regularly right now go to therapy, you know, might go every few months as things happen or whatever. It's always a resource for me because I know that that's where, that's the appropriate place for me Mm -hmm. to work things out before before they are ready to be, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, lessons or things that I can share with others. And so uh, I think because the, there's a power differential again here as leaders, the impact of not doing our work is so much greater because the people who we're leading can't necessarily or don't feel like they can say, hey, that's not appropriate or that makes me feel kind of manipulated. You know, they, they may be just kind of going along with it. And if you're not self-aware, you may not catch that. And so this is why doing this work in the appropriate place yes. is so critical. Yeah, I have to remind myself of this, and this is an important reminder for all of us, but it's not my team or my colleagues job to make me feel better. Right. It's not my husband's job. It's not my kid's job. It's not my employee's job to make me feel better. That is all within the context of my responsibility. And if I need to find resources to do that, I will. In fact, yesterday, you know, just to add to your comment about believing in therapy, yesterday I set up three more appointments through the rest of the year. I don't go very often either, but I scheduled my appointments through December with my therapist because I thought, hey, there's some things I want to process through. And uh, and she's the one that can help me to do that. But it is not my colleagues, my team's job to make me feel better. That's my ownership. And when you get that very, very clear, it changes how you deliver and when you deliver and to who you deliver your story. That's right. Because sometimes the person, the, the who, the answer to that question is your therapist. <laughs> first. Yeah, totally. You need to do that first. And then at some later point, then you move on to a different audience when that is resolved in a way that makes it appropriate. Uh- 
couple of, this is probably a month ago, back in June, we were on site for our quarterly business accelerator intensives. We had a bunch going on. I had had several days of meetings and talking. And for those of you listening, one of the um, ongoing challenges I have related to my health journey is that I deal with chronic pain every day. Mm-hmm. And because it's all centered around my mouth and my neck and my throat, my esophagus and trachea, uh, talking, eating, drinking, swallowing, those things that we do every single day right. cause pain. And uh, after being on site with my team for several days, my pain level was really high. But the funny thing is, is I don't always know that my pain level is high because I don't pay attention to it until it's too late. And I was sitting with my team in the meeting and all of a sudden I was a 10 out of 10 and it Mm. like was the first time it was on my radar. Now I knew I needed to take care of myself. And so I started packing up my stuff and needed to leave. Well, in that context, just splitting without giving my team context, they would have been afraid something was wrong. Right. And so what happened. So this is what I did. I'm like, okay, what would be appropriate? I said, y'all, there's nothing that you need to do. Nobody needs to fix this. I've got it under control. I just need you to know I'm going to need to go leave and work in my hotel room um, because my pain levels are somewhat unmanageable right now. I'm fine. Nobody needs to take care of it, but I need to respect these limits and go work. Uh, and that was a way to bring my whole self. That is a reality of my environment, but I was not putting it on them to fix it or solve it. But I also hopefully communicated to them that this is an environment as humans where we acknowledge that we have limits. And if we need to do things to care for ourselves, that's okay. I think that's so, that's such a great example of this. And just to continue that, you know, you might have said, Additionally, at a later point to your peers on the executive team, guys, I I need your input or I need your prayers. I'm really struggling because chronic pain when I'm in town and I'm, you know, doing all this Mm -hmm. stuff in person is really hard. And I'm struggling with figuring out, you know, how to find the balance between doing this. Now, that Mm -hmm. would have been a burden to your team to share that part, but not with your peers, you know, me, for example, who's your supervisor. Like, you know, that would be okay. So I think those are some of the nuances. I I feel like it's really helpful to play this out in a real world situation because you can kind of see that, you know, how that, that works with the executive team, your peers you know, that would have connected you to them. They would have also seen, gosh, when I'm struggling with something, when my kids is having mm-hmm. a hard time, or maybe something's going on in my marriage, or I'm in the middle of a major move or something like that, I can show up and be human and ask for help. And that's okay. So that would be a different outcome in a different context. Yes. It would also be positive. Which leads us to our final question, which is how. So we've talked about why, when, who. Now we're talking about how. When uh, when you share your story or you incorporate pieces of your story into your leadership, it's important to remember that it's your story. You own it. You cannot delegate ownership of that story to somebody else, somebody else simply because you're weary of carrying it. <laughs> Remember, it's part <laughs> of you. You own it. And so that's one thing I have to be so careful of. My story, and I've only shared a tiny, tiny piece of it, is very dramatic. 
And it can easily evoke a lot of emotion in the people I share it to. It's, mm-hmm. it's heavy. It's hard. Uh, side note, because I've had cancer three times, I have no guarantee of a long life. I've been cancer free for six years now, which is fantastic, but I'll never be free of a doctor's care. So this is the, cloud that I live under at all times is an awareness of my mortality and how it can change on a dime. The truth of that can really, really be heavy on the people around me. If I don't consistently remind them, it's okay. This is my story. I'm carrying it. It's it's my backpack. It's not your job to carry it. It's my, it's my story to, to carry. That said, I think it can help all of us live better. Let me tell you, there are times where I'm able to use that context and reality to encourage my team to embrace what we're doing, that we have such a unique opportunity to serve people well right now. And all we have is today. So let's do it really well. All of that, that context, I think helps us to do the best coaching on the planet. Um, but the only way my team doesn't feel weighed down by it is how I deliver it. And when I deliver it and give that context, I fully own that. They don't have to carry it. They don't have to fix me. They don't have to pick me up and carry me. They don't have to do any of that. It's mine and I'm good. And then it becomes a means to empower all of us. Wow. Michelle, that's so helpful. And I think one of the the things I love most about you, both as a friend and as a leader, is just your maturity. And I, I think I said that to you probably when you came to work <laughs> I, with us. I like to that, think you just think I'm old, but yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I don't you mean can... <laughs> old. We all know people who are actually old and not mature. So that is unfortunately no guarantee. No, you have made good use of the experiences that you have been through in all seriousness and really learned mm-hmm. those lessons. I should say, by the way, you're you're one of the most mature people I know. You're also one of the funniest people I know. <laughs> and I truly believe, and I think you share this belief, that people who have suffered the most are often the funniest. Yeah. A little dark humor. So, you know, you've got to be like, got to be game for that, which I always am. But I, I love that about you. And I just, the thing that I keep coming back to as I'm considering these questions, thinking about the conversation that we've had today is that there's so much maturity and wisdom that is necessary to steward our stories well and to use them on behalf of others in a way that is life-giving, mm-hmm. that's encouraging, that's empowering, particularly as leaders, that that's a unique um, responsibility, it's a unique burden, and that wisdom and maturity are the prerequisites for doing that well and self-awareness, obviously, mm-hmm. like we talked about, which I think mm-hmm. is right in there. So thank you for this. I, I think um, I have a new passion for integrating my story into um, the work that I'm doing and to the way that I'm leading. We're hiring a ton of people right now, many people who uh, don't know my story. And I'm reminded of the fact that that was really easy when we had fewer team members and I need to be intentional about doing that so that I'm a real person, you know, to the people that I'm leading and that I make sure to continue to set the tone for the culture that I want to create here. One of felt safety and belonging mm-hmm. and like you can, and, and wholeheartedness, like you can bring your your whole self to work. Yes. So um, thank you for this. Do you have any final thoughts? Anything we didn't cover? Anything you want to say? <laughs> I think I've covered a lot, but uh, the one final thought is, is I just want to set this appropriate expectation, bringing your whole self to any relationship, but especially your leadership is messy, 
Okay. Yeah. It's not easy. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to require an extraordinary amount of both courage and wisdom. However, when you do it well, it gives your team courage and permission to show up as their full selves too. And back to that initial analogy, when everybody comes fully prepared to scale the mountain with their whole selves, when everybody has their full physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual resources, their history, their experiences and maturity, then all of you together can scale that mountain. And then let me tell you, there is nothing better than seeing your whole team bring their whole selves and accomplishing that kind of work together. Absolutely. There's nothing more rewarding. It's amazing. Well, I hope you feel inspired to figure out how to integrate your story into your leadership. It's really worth the effort. Um, We look forward to hearing the stories of how that's gone for you and what the benefits have been and the challenges. Certainly there will be both. Um, But again, I think it's worth the effort. So thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to be back with you next week. Until then, lead to win. 